Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Diana Perkey is on the run in her walk with God. She is a 1991 alumna of Cedarville and was recently named the Director of Alumni Engagement. Diana compares her life with the Lord to a relay race, a continual process of releasing and receiving the baton, being faithful with each new calling the Lord has on her life. Through it all, Diana has leaned heavily on the Lord and watched Him move mountains, change circumstances, and thwart the devil's attacks from time to time again. Enjoy this inspiring conversation with Diana Perkey and Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and I'm excited to have the opportunity today to talk with one of the most recent additions to the university's leadership team. I'll share more about my guest in just a moment. But first, I want to report that the podcast has surged past 15,000 downloads since we first started. Thank you for listening, and I encourage you to share the podcast with a friend and subscribe to wherever you listen to this podcast. My guest today is Diana Perkey, the new Director of Alumni Engagement at Cedarville University. She started in her role in March, and fortunately for everyone, Diana owns a good pair of running shoes because she's made a significant impact in just her first few weeks on the job as she's hit the ground running. Diana is a 1991 graduate of Cedarville University. She and her husband of 30 years, Brett, have two daughters and a son and is very active in various ministries, which we'll get to in the podcast. Welcome to the program, Diana. It's great to talk with you today and serve with you at Cedarville University. One of the reasons why I wanted to have Diana on the program today is because I thought it was important for our alumni and friends to get to know her. The first time I met you, Diana, I walked in your office and, you know, because of COVID, I was wearing my mask. And I happened to, I have many masks, but I had this one mask. It's a navy blue base and it has a, like a maize letter M on it. And, and so my first name is Mark, so I tell people it's for Mark. But those who really know, they really know it's for Michigan. Now, and you said that you like that. Um, how did you become a Michigan fan? So when I was younger, we lived in outside of Grand Rapids for a couple of years. Okay. So I had a little bit of that context, just lived there for a couple of years. But then my husband also, when he was in his middle school years, his family moved to um, Grand Blank, which is outside of Flint. And right. he um, lived there, went to school for a couple of years. And I believe it was his soccer coach had been a Michigan linebacker. And so he just got indoctrinated, everything Michigan. So oh, yeah. we kind of, he's really the bigger fan and I've, you know, come along for the ride, just having that in our background. So it's also fun when you're controversial with everyone else around you who's Ohio. Right. And for a year Michigan had a really good team and there was much to be proud of. And now we struggle, but you know what? Basketball was good. I will argue Michigan football is typically good. I mean, it, it uh, is against uh, the team here in Ohio. It hasn't been so good the last two decades. Correct. I agree. But so as we start, you know, you said you lived in Michigan a little bit, but you're originally, aren't you, from the Dayton area? Correct. I was born here and lived here most of my life. Okay, so let's go back way in your history. 20-plus okay. years ago, you're a high school student at Dayton Christian. You're looking at colleges. You come to Cedarville. Why did you come to Cedarville? Well, actually, I went to Taylor University first. Oh. Um, some people don't know that. But I never really looked at colleges. Um, my sister was at Taylor, and so it was just known to me. Um, and so I kind of just followed in her path. Yep. Cedarville was also always like the next step out of Dayton Christian. And I, right. I think I wanted to do something different. So I went to Taylor. I lasted one semester 
And it just was not a good fit for me. And I found I was home all the time. And I just liked this area. And a lot of my friends were at Cedarville. And so I switched over after a semester. And then you graduated in 91. I did graduate. Mm -hmm. And loved it here at Cedarville. It felt, it just felt like me. It felt like home. What made it feel like home, if you can recall? Just the friends that I had here. I loved the focus on Christ and Christ being first. And that resonated with me. It, it truly was the next stepping stone out of Dayton Christian and the foundation that had been built there. Yeah. It just continued. And I think that's why it felt comfortable. Sure. It felt yeah. like uh, the next best step. It was a hand-in-glove experience for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So by spending any amount of time with you, and I haven't spent a lot of time with you, you'll quickly learn uh, about Diana that she has a heart for the gospel mm. and missions. So with that as a backdrop, I want to step back, though. So before you have a heart for the gospel and you have a heart for missions, you have to meet Jesus. Can you share that spiritual journey with us? Sure. I was raised in a very um, solid foundational Christian home. My parents were very involved in kids' ministry and missions. That's what mm -hmm. I was brought up in. So it was very common for us to have uh, missionaries from all over the world stay in our home. Uh, my parents were the directors and on boards of missions at different churches. Mm -hmm. And so it was just literally like breathing for me. So I grew up um, knowing about Jesus. I knew who he was, that he had died for me. And at a very young age, we actually were living in St. Louis at the time. Really? Um, it was called Hope Church. I yep. remember during um, a children's church, Mr. Sampson was my um, the director, and I remember sitting down afterwards and talking with him and praying to ask Jesus into my heart, to ask him to forgive my sins. And so I went through that process, I think, at a very early age. I think I was about six and a half. Fast forward, you know, was in Christian schools my whole life, I'm very involved in church. Uh, like I said, the upbringing I was fortunate to have. But I would say it was really college age where I feel like I really made that switch from a lot of knowledge um, to it being a personal relationship between me and the Lord. And I remember um, that change where it wasn't just, this is the way I've been raised, this is what I've always known, to, okay, he is truly Lord of my life, and what yeah. does that mean, and how yeah. does that play out? So when you say it clicked like your college years, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you're talking about your college years at Cedarville. Correct. So what at Cedarville helped develop that? You know, I think a big part of it was, I remember chapels very specifically. I remember, you know, messages that were given that were just very focused on, you know, you're in your college years, you're in such a transitional state. You've gone from high school where you're kind of in this secure bubble to college where you have a little bit of more freedom to now you're looking at walking into the great unknown. And what does that look like? And now things have to become yours, um, not your parents, not your teachers, not those that have been in that bubble um, supporting you, but what does this really mean for you? And I think that's what was transitional for me at Cedarville was understanding who Christ was and what he had done for me personally, and how was I going to live that out? And that, and then walking into, I got married right after college, um, and walking into a relationship now when you are a partner with someone else, that the gospel takes on a whole different context because right. it's no longer you. It's the dying to self. It's yeah. the laying down for others. So I think that yeah. really were, was my transitional time. I did learn that adoption was mm. was a direction that you guys were talking about or pursuing act actively and, and probably more accurately, you were pursuing it. You, you wanted to make a difference in, as I think what you said, marginalized children. Correct. Um, what prompted your interest in adoption? It's interesting you ask. So we were very involved at Apex Community Church. Okay. We were in um, a house church. And interestingly, almost every couple in the house church was had, had either adopted or were in the process of adopting, mm -hmm. um, and specifically internationally. 
And so we walked with another couple in that house church as they were um, adopting twin boys from Haiti. We prayed over those boys. We supported their orphanage for almost two years. Then they brought those boys home in October. And in the following January, the earthquake hit in Haiti and just rocked that world. And it kind of rocked our world too. And we started really um, searching deeply. Like there's so much need, like, Lord, what would you have us do? Right. And we started looking into that. Haiti obviously was closed. Um, I, at the time, was the children's director at Apex. So kids were in my heart. You know, God had given me that passion and that focus to make a difference in kids' lives. And so we started um, just looking into it. And Africa had always had a sweet spot in my heart because, as I had mentioned, the upbringing in a world of missions. Mm -hmm. There's a missionary family that have been in Africa, fourth generation of missionaries um, in Kenya, Tanzania area. And they had been in our home many times. So I had heard and known about this, but I had never been to Africa. And so I started just looking into adoption in that area. And if you ask my husband, he would tell you with a smile on his face. He thought he would be tricky and say to me, well, I think that we could impact and help more um, by maybe going and seeing and and helping from afar instead of just bringing one um, needy child back into our home. And so very quickly, I had him on a plane to Uganda. um, And that started in 2010 was our first experience in missions. And God just really broke our hearts. He changed our world. And we came home from that 10-day experience of, it was basically orphan exposure, meaning allowing us to see the crisis, allowing us to see everything from children's prisons to um, street programs to um, schools, orphanage settings, all of it. And we came home just really saying, okay, Lord, we cannot go back to life the way that it was, but we don't know what that looks like moving forward. Okay, so I'll go back a little bit. Sure. So you're interested in adoption. Brett's not really interested mm-hmm. in adoption. Did you have any kids at that time? We did. We have three children. At that point? Yes. What were the ages? Um, I believe around probably like 7, 12, and 14. Okay, so then they're not real young. Correct. How did they respond to the idea of maybe that they're going to have a brother or sister from... Another country. They were 100% in. Our kids were excited, would love to have adopted siblings for sure. Okay, so the Lord used Brett's... Hesitancy. Hesitancy (laughs) and uh, connivingness, if that's a word, against him. Because he's the one who brought up... In a way, yes. Because he brought the the missions idea, and and then that led you into... Correct. uh, ...to missions. And that's where I want to go. I want to go down the missions path. Uh, We learned from Scripture that following Jesus is costly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in a spiritual battlefield. We face stiff opposition every day right. from the enemy uh, being Satan. So that's exactly what you experienced. Absolutely. Once you felt called to the mission field and once you decided to go full-time, mm-hmm. um, can you share with us some of this this journey, the struggles, the, sure. the, the fight that you were facing? Sure. Back in the very beginning, we when we went on that first mission trip to Uganda, um, we definitely felt compelled to continue to walk this path. And we didn't know what it looked like. That was in March. And that summer, I was asked to go back and lead another team back into Uganda and then to start for this organization we were working with, um, Exploring Kenya. And I took my daughter, who was 14 at the time, um, and we did that. And it was just life-changing again. Um, Probably the hardest experience out of all of the teams that we've taken, where we just in so many ways, had everything physically stripped from us. Finances, water, just lots of things. We were in danger, significant danger multiple times, and just had to really call out and trust um, in a God who 
we many times here in the States pray, but we don't always pray expecting. Um, mm-hmm. And I watched literally things move and change and multiply in front of me um, during that two-week experience. That led to another trip that fall, so I was there three times that year, which then led our family to say, okay, Lord, we want to connect and we want to go deep in one particular place. And so we picked an orphanage in Kenya that really just, um, our hearts seemed to be knit together with this pastor and his wife. He had been an orphan himself on the street and had committed to take in one to thank the Lord for um, a pastor that had taken him in. And they now have over 250 children at this orphanage. But we decided to go deep with them and we wanted to make a difference. And so we took a team with our family. My husband and our oldest went over for two weeks ahead to do all of the groundwork and to prep. And we went in and wanted to make a difference in their lives, something that would not normally happen. Feeding programs are wonderful because they provide food education, but we wanted to do something more of a capital project that they could not do with on their own. And so mm. we built a substantial playground at this orphanage. Mm. It was a month-long process, and um, we took a team of 30 over to help complete it and then followed up later with helping to raise funds to build a trade school at this orphanage. We've installed a carpentry shop, culinary kitchen, sewing supplies to help equip these the older kids at the orphanage with skills and trades so that as they transition out of the orphanage and back into life on their own, they have a skill or a trade to use. And so as we did these things, um, you know, team after team that we would take over, educational teams, medical teams to meet medical needs, I think it was right after we had done the carpentry shop, we had been on the ground for about five weeks right. and then um, went over to Uganda. There was a school there that we had helped to fund, and so we went over for a kind of a ground uh, dedication service. And so we came home, and so our family had been gone for about six weeks. Um, we were home for about a week, and my husband went out for a bike ride. He likes to cycle. And um, I had someone come to our house shortly after he had left, and long story short, through some miscommunication, finally understood that this older gentleman was telling me that he had found my husband on the side of the road mm. as my husband um, was sitting there with his bike and didn't know what was wrong. And... Um, said that he needed help and so they were getting help for him and so i went and got there right as an ambulance was closing the door and the ambulance driver looked at me and said don't try to keep up with us um, he's having a stroke and we're heading to the hospital oh, wow. so here my husband who had been uh, on the ground in africa for six weeks totally healthy um was heading to the hospital and i'm being told he has a stroke is having a stroke and so said okay and followed him down got down there and he had had a substantial stroke um yeah. No speech, no movement on the whole side of his body. And I said, okay, Lord, like, here we are. Um, and so had to make some very quick decisions. It was interesting how I think when you are so in tune with the Lord and you're walking with him, and and my prayer life has been so deep, especially through all of the work that we've done, right. um, he just he gives you those senses of what you should and should not do. And I needed to make some medical decisions very quickly for him and didn't know what to do um, and was, okay, Lord, who can I call? Where can I get advice for this? And they wheeled him out to do a, a test. Um, and as he came back, um, remember he had no speech, no movement. Um, he came back into the room speaking very clearly um, really? and moving his arm. And the doctor looked at me and said, okay, I wouldn't give him this drug that um, he needed. And I said, that's fine. Then we've made a decision. And that quickly, the speech went away. And um, he looked, the doctor looked, looked at me and said, it will come and go. But um, he felt like we were making the best decision at that moment. So it was mm-hmm. that instant, Lord, help me. I, I need your help right now. 
and immediately he gave me the answer I needed. And I have watched that happen over and over. So long story short, um, my husband did have a very significant stroke. They were talking months of um, recovery and therapy. A day after we had been in the hospital, this pastor that we had just been with in Kenya heard the news. And over there, a stroke is basically a a death sentence or you're just a vegetable coming out of it. So he was very devastated. And he said to me, um, it was in the evening, the day after this happened, he said, we will be holding a prayer vigil very early in the morning for Uncle Brett, is what they called him. And um, I thanked him and I went to sleep that night with my husband trying to utter words and trying to move his fingers um, to grasp like an exercise ball type of concept. Mm -hmm. And so we went to sleep that night um, praying and all the while knowing that there were 250 orphans on their knees, literally Mm. praying over my husband. I woke the next morning to my husband clear as a bell saying, I feel different today. And I looked over and his hand was opening and closing completely where he could not grasp the night before. And immediately things started progressing very quickly. I think I counted that day and there were 28 medical professionals outside of his nurses that were in and out of our room. Mm. As um, they were testing him and doing different things, the physical therapists could not believe the difference in a day. And I knew immediately what the difference was, was that these children who dearly loved him were calling out um, on his behalf, begging God to heal their Uncle Brett. And so we have watched um, miracles happen He still had recovery. It wasn't like it was just gone. But the significance of the healing, um, we can only give the glory to the Lord. And it's in those moments where we know that we're walking in the path that he's called us to where the opposition comes. And we joke because at times on our trips, you know, different things would happen. And I would say, you know, bring it on. Like, I know where we're... I know we are where we're supposed to be. And my husband now jokes, would you please stop saying bring it on? Because (laughs) it really came that time. Um, but the faith building that that has been for our children, as well as the children and the families that we have been called to serve over the years has been huge. Yeah. We didn't realize how many people were watching our little family just doing our everyday lives that we thought God was calling us to. Yeah. And the significance of the growth for those people. What's really cool is that happened in August of 2014. And the following summer, my husband was able to go back to that orphanage. Um, And when he stepped out of the van, I can't tell you the rejoicing that happened when those kids could hug him. Mm -hmm. And he stood before them one evening and he shared the story and he explained all that he had gone through and how much he appreciated and valued and the part and the role that they, these kids who a lot of them were found on the street, that they feel like their lives are insignificant or that they're forgotten, how God used them to um, make a difference in my husband's life. And You know, he said to them, um, there is a saying that there's, you know, two very important days in your life, the day that you're born and the day that you realize why you were born, what that purpose is. And he really tried to impress that upon these kids, that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And we don't understand the circumstances that he places us in, but he uses it. None of it's wasted. And so what an amazing full circle for him to be able to then use that to love on these kids well. That's an amazing story. So was that a reason why then you came away from the mission field and returned to the States? So actually that happened very early in our time. We actually went back several more times Mm -hmm. um, and we continued. We had started our own nonprofit to do a lot of this work because there wasn't a specific organization working um, with this orphanage. And so we did that. And the longer we went, the more we felt God tugging at our heart to have a presence on the ground full time. 
with our small organization, we couldn't send ourselves. And so we really prayed through, okay, Lord, what are you calling us to do? Are you calling us to Africa? Are you calling us to orphan care? Um, and my husband, we just really uh, wrestled through that and both came to the decision together that he was calling us into the orphan care world. Um, and it didn't matter where that was, but that we wanted to be used. And so we closed down our nonprofit. We went with another local organization and they actually sent us to Mexico okay. for a year of language school and training. And then we were heading to the Dominican was going to be our long-term um, mm -hmm. location. And we literally sold everything. We were in this for life. This was not just a two or three year commitment. Um, and we were going to launch a site there for them in the Dominican. Okay. Um, and so we did, we left in 2017 and um, very early in our daughter who came with us, we had two children here in the States schooling, and then we took our youngest with us and she started to develop some very significant health issues yeah. within a few months. And so we started to process that with her and it got to the point that we had to come home. And so we came home, we thought for just a six month period, just to get her the medical care that she needed. And then we would launch back. Right. And it became very clear very quickly that we were not going to be able to turn around that quickly. She needed more time here in the States. Again, I think an act of the enemy to derail us, take us off of the path that God had called us to. It also, to be very honest, was just a hard emotional struggle. My husband and I went through a grieving process of mm. the path that we for so many years felt God calling us to. You feel like you're in your sweet spot. You're right where you feel like he wants you. And then to have this complete turnaround, you know, did we not hear right? Did we misjudge? Right. Or And it's been interesting, the people that God has brought into our life to pour over us, to confirm, to love on us, that nothing is a mistake. God confirmed very clearly to us that we were to go. He funded us above and beyond what we needed to raise in six months time. And the growth in our kids, the two that stayed here, the life change, it was hard. It was hard for our family. But the spiritual growth we have seen in their lives, um, I wouldn't change for anything. Our youngest daughter and what God has done in her heart and her life, um, she will tell you she would do it all again as hard as it was. And so he's using all of those things. We don't know what our future looks like. We just walk each day literally by faith, trusting in his plan and what he's laid out in front of us and just trying to be obedient for that next step. And we never know the twists and turns, right. but we just have to walk in it. That's right. So as I start moving us toward near the end of the podcast, Brett's okay today? He is. If you met him now, you would never know that he had a stroke. And your daughter? She's doing really, really well. And she will be a freshman here at Cedarville in the fall. Great. She's finishing her senior year and excited. Yep. So hearing what you've shared, we, we know that nothing is wasted with God. Nope. What did you learn from these situations you just outlined? With Brett, your daughter, the missions foregoing what you thought was life on the mission field, mm -hmm. and now you're back in the States. What did the Lord teach you through all that? You know, I read a book once by Christine Kane, and she used this illustration that has been so helpful for me, and it's the picture of a relay race, and that we're all running different legs of this race, and each leg, um, each baton is a different season, a different part that God has called us to. And I think the parts that were the most challenging and, and helpful for me were that if we're going to be in this race and we're going to run this relay that God has laid out, which is our life, yep. and all the different legs of that race, the first thing we have to do is be willing to release the baton that's in our hand. So for me, that was releasing our time in Kenya, releasing our time in Mexico. For my hand to be outstretched and available 
to receive the next baton, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. And I think the most important part of the whole releasing and receiving is that we have to be in motion. And if we're not actively in motion, we're not ready to release and receive. Yeah. And things will get dropped and will get derailed. And that being in motion is being actively um, moving with the Lord. And so if my walk and my time is not with him, um, where I can hear his voice and I am, am in tune to know which baton I'm to pick up. That's what Cedarville has been for me. There was a lot of prayer over the past 12 months yeah. as to where the next uh, place for me, I, I sensed God really pulling my heart to be back in full-time ministry. And literally he opened this door for me. And there was such a peace because I was so walking with him, asking for that, that when this baton was handed to me, I knew it was the one that I needed to grasp and run right, right. this next leg, whatever that yeah. looks like. I want to go down that path and transition to your time at Cedarville. But at the same time, you said some things in explaining about Brett and his health mm -hmm. situation. And that's the power of prayer. Absolutely. I think um, I know so that uh, believers, me included, don't pray expectantly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we, we don't even just pray enough. Right. We don't pray expecting that God's going to answer our prayer as we have articulated mm -hmm. what we, we what we hope or want. Well, there's a phrase that if you ask my kids, they will tell you that mom has this phrase besides the bring it on, which I try not to use so much now. But there's a phrase that I've used all through a mission work that I wanted my teams to do because it's what I do. And it is expect the unexpected, that if we aren't expecting it, if we aren't looking, it's that expectant hope. Right. We will miss it. We will. We won't see because he's at work around us all the time. And I think so many people think, oh, miracles don't really happen. That was back in Bible times. No, God is working miracles. Yeah. They just may look different, yeah. um, but we have to be expecting them to see them. So it just hit me when you said that, like the Lord can do and does amazing things. So were there any thoughts that went through your mind yesterday when we were over in London, Ohio, mm -hmm. and Geraldine Henry, we celebrated her 108th birthday. How do you see the Lord working in that situation? Because that's just amazing that someone is 108 right. years old. It's just, she's still... She's still there. She's still with us. You know, I think the thing that I walked away from the most was impact. There were two nurses there who have been taking care of her for years. Yeah. And to see the tears streaming down their yep. face as we were singing happy birthday. Yep. Um, she didn't speak much while we were there. But when we started to sing happy birthday to her, she sang with us. That's right. Um, and the tears in their eyes, the impact, and then the stories that you hear from her friends, from those that were there, of the students who have come back, specifically um, guys, specifically boys who have said she was instrumental in encouraging me. When no one else saw the good in me, she did. Right. She pushed me. She right. encouraged me. Right. And I think we so often, I know my husband and I have talked about this many times, like we're nobody. We're, we're just this couple and we struggle like everybody else. Like what, Lord, what are you asking us to do? And but just trying to be obedient, just for us. This is not for the world to see, it's just for us. But you don't realize who's watching and you don't realize the ripple effect and the impact that you are having. Yeah. And you may never see it now, but we have yeah. had so many people come back to us and say, just watching your family walk in obedience has caused us to adopt, to do yeah. these, to go into foster care, to yeah. go and talk about life changing. Yeah. It's not about the accolades at all, but that is motivation to keep pursuing um, the calling on your life because God uses you to impact so many others around you. And I think with Geraldine, that's that's what I saw, the impact even at 108, yeah. how she's impacting people. She is. So 
In our final few minutes, I, I wanted to talk about, you know, your role as director of alumni engagement. So, sure. but you have a, a deep history. So from your deep history of all that you've just mm-hmm. articulated, what can you pull from that mm-hmm. to impact your role as director of alumni engagement here at Cedarville? You know, it's something I've really been thinking through and praying through um, because this isn't a, a job that I specifically sought out. It kind of found me. But I have to say, after my first week, I went home and said to my husband, I feel like God has created me for this position. You know, like we've talked about, nothing's wasted and, and all the different jobs and all the different things that you do. Sometimes you think, why am I doing this? Um, but he's he's giving you skills. He's um, growing you in areas that you don't even realize you need to grow for a purpose. Right. Um, do I think I've arrived? No. I think there's always something more that he wants for us and right. from us. But where I'm at right now in this position, I feel like all of my experience, all of the things that I've walked through have made me ready to step into this role. A year ago, I wouldn't have been ready. And so just my relationship building, my wanting to impact kids. I mean, going through my whole history, kids ministry, um, working with older orphans, equipping them. So much of it lines up with where a lot of these kids are in college. It's it's was the pivotal point for me you're transitioning into a whole new season of life. Um, How can God use me to motivate, to encourage, to strengthen, to grow these kids as they're moving into this next stage of life? That's part of what they're becoming our alumni. Um, And so my role works with um, the seniors, with the Student Alumni Association, building leadership into them, using events and things that we do. Those are the fun part of it. But all of those things have a purpose to help equip them to move into the calling that God has on their life. So if he can use my story and he can use this windy, crazy road that our family's been on and a lot of ups and downs, the path is not always, very rarely is it straight. Yeah. Um, and and so to live that out for others and use my life as an example, if yeah. that encourages, um, it's it's worth every hour, every minute of it. I've been impressed just the few weeks that I've worked with you and, and seen you and talked to you, just how you've... Um, jumped on mm. right away. You've uh, grasped a lot of key information and you, you're not sitting on the sidelines right now, even <laughs> just being here for a few weeks. So that's very impressive. Mm. We are out of time, but I do have one final question and okay. it, it goes to the core of the podcast. We state that our purpose for telling Cedarville stories is for God's glory. Absolutely. How, how do you hope, how do you believe uh, your work, your life is bringing God glory? Mm. It's something that um, I think weighs heavy in a good way on me. I want to make sure, and every day as I come in, there's a little sign on my um, windowsill down in my office that says, um, start every day with a grateful heart. And I think that's at the core of it. When we are grateful and we recognize the grace of God in our life and how we don't deserve the next breath, let alone all the other blessings he gives us, when we can start and be that grateful, that turns into joy that we live out as we serve others. And so honestly, it is about trying to empty myself of me. I'm human. I have all of those same human tendencies and struggles, and but trying to empty those things so that I can just be that empty vessel to be used. Um, that's what I hope and pray my time at Cedarville is, that it's more of him filling me to overflowing that then flows out to the people that he puts around me yeah. to touch. You know, when we came off the mission field and came home three and a half years ago, We've never been people who have like a word for the year or whatever, but Brett and I both came home with this very um, significant 
um, thought of the word presence, that we wanted to, we didn't understand anything that was happening, but we wanted to be present, um, present in our kids' lives, thankful that God had given us more time with our kids that we had left back here in the States, but just being present in the moment, wherever God had us, impacting the people he put around us. Um, and it may not be in Mexico or the Dominican or Africa, maybe someday, but for right now, he's given me a sphere of influence. And you know, I don't feel like the Bible says, go out and change the world. It says, change your world. So how can you impact one um, and then watch that ripple effect? So that's really my hope and prayer. That's great. And uh, I, I, as you continue to follow Jesus, as I, mm. I know you will, um, the impact you will have on students, I think, will be significant. And I'm glad you, you decided. I'm glad the Lord brought you to Cedarville. Mm. And yes. I look forward to seeing what you'll, you'll do here. And uh, thanks for being transparent today, telling mm. us your stories from the mission field. And thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville oh. Stories podcast. It's a privilege. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory. Oh,